Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Sagebrush Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick McNabb, here to bring you the most recent news from the Nevada Sagebrush website. As always, don't forget to read all of the articles on our website to give the writers the credit that they're due, as well as in case I missed anything. With that being said, I'm your host, Patrick McNabb. Welcome to the Sagebrush Spotlight. The Associated Students of University of Nevada Reno Judicial Council held a hearing on September 11th to discuss the charge submitted by Speaker Pro Tempore and College of Liberal Arts Senator Aaron Schaffer against the ASUN internship program. On the August 30th Senate meeting, Senator for the College of Engineering Aween Ali submitted legislation that would change the name of the ASUN internship to the ASUN partnership. The legislation failed after being voted on with a 3-15 to vote against the name change. The hearing was held to discuss this charge, which violated Chapter 5 of the Statutes of of the ASUN and Senate Bill 18. In Schaffer's opening argument, precedent was cited in order to prove that ASUN needs Senate approval for title changes. Quote, previous legislation clearly establishes that the executive branch cannot unilaterally change the names for their departments or programs. They require consent of the Senate. There was an attempt for this at the recent Senate meeting nearly four months after the executive branch violated the separation of powers and attempted to change the internship's name. Schaffer also argues that the right to market the internship separately from the executive branch was not extended to other coordinators. She argued that it would not work because the ASUN internship uses one universal application and internship process. Quote, my intent behind this charge is to hold the executive branch accountable for the disregard of the Senate, just as the legislative branch would like to be held accountable for our actions if needed to be done, Schaffer said. Amelia Gloniak, an assistant justice on the council, asked Schaffer to give a specific timeline of when the name change was first brought up, where it was revealed that the name change was first mentioned in May in a behind-the-scenes group chat, then was first posted on the ASUN. ASUN Instagram on June 27th. Isabella Hatt, the Executive Director of Affairs at ASUN, says that she used the name Wolfpack Partnership simply for marketing purposes at the time. According to Hatt, Schaffer reached out to her to start the legislative process on June 28th, but after a few weeks and multiple senators saying no regarding the piece, Hatt reached out to Ali to continue moving forward with the legislation. James Greco, the Attorney General and spokesperson for the other side, said that the application should be considered an internship because the legislative process is required for an official name change. Then, Greco proposed that the marketing of the name partnership was separate and did not need legislative action. Greco cited Hatt's term goals when she was first sworn into office on April 26th, saying that Hatt introduced the idea of the Wolfpack partnership and the senators had a chance to ask questions. When the partnership idea was then again brought up at the ASUN retreat, Greco said no one came to him with any problems and that Hatt clearly showed her intentions for the project at the beginning of her term. Gloniak then asked why Hatt didn't bring the name change to legislation when she originally proposed the goal, to which Greco replied, Quote, no one saw it as a problem or proposed an issue with the executive branch about it, so they were just going with the flow in that sense. The decision of the judicial hearing will be announced on the September 13th Senate meeting. This story was written by Nevada Sagebrush News Editor Jaden Young. With the conclusion of the news section, we're going to be taking a short break to catch our breath and reflect on the news. I'm your host, Patrick McNabb. You're listening to the Sagebrush Spotlight.
The Nevada women's volleyball team traveled to the Pacific Northwest to compete in the Eastern Washington University Invitational from September 1st to 2nd. The Wolfpack opened their first game against the University of the Pacific Tigers, who would prove to best Nevada. The Wolfpack had an overall match total of 32 kills, 3 aces, 5 blocks, and a .139 hitting percentage. Despite this, Nevada fell short in each set, losing 21-25, 22-25, and 23-25 respectively, going 0-3 against the Tigers. The first match was led by Sia Lili, an outside hitter with 13 kills, Jordan Schwartz, the middle blocker with five blocks, Bella Snyder, another middle blocker with two aces, Taya Meva, a setter with 20 assists, and Hiki Alani Koalawi Libero with 14 digs. The Wolfpack then went on to face the host of the tournament, Eastern Washington University, sweeping the match 3-0. Statistically, Nevada ended the match with 42 kills, eight aces, three blocks, and an overall hitting percentage of .252 over Eastern Washington. This win put Nevada at 1-1 in the tournament. Important players in this second match are Schwartz with two blocks, setter Jacqueline Sanchez totaled 29 assists, and Koalawi ended the game with 16 digs. Nico Nora Clark rose to the top with 14 kills and two aces, while Lili added 13 kills and 11 digs. In their last match of the tournament, Nevada went on to face the Seattle University Redhawks. This match started off strong for Nevada, coming out on top of the first two sets, 25-22 and 25-21 respectively. Despite this early lead, Nevada would go on to lose the next three sets of the match, which made them lose the match as a whole. Key players from this match include Clark with 19 kills and 10 digs, Lili with 3 assists, 17 kills and 13 digs, outside hitter Hannah Platt with 9 blocks, Koalawi with 25 digs, and Sanchez with 51 assists. Both Platt and Koalawi ended the tournament being named to the Eastern Washington Invitational All-Tournament team. After this tournament, Nevada women's volleyball stood at a 2-4 record. This story was written by Nevada Sagebrush Volunteer Sports reporter Lexi Trent. The Nevada football team took on the University of Idaho Vandals in their home opener on September 9th, which would prove to be another loss for Nevada. As early as the first quarter, Nevada was already falling behind, with defense allowing a 75-yard running touchdown from Idaho running back Teron Ivey Jr. Nevada tried to answer back with a touchdown, but had to settle for a field goal as they got stopped in the red zone. For most of the rest of the first quarter, the game would remain silent, both teams collecting a turnover and a three-and-out. With the time expiring on the clock, Vandals running back Nick Romano ran a 15-yard touchdown, leaving the first quarter 14-3. The second quarter was much more inactive than the first with both teams only scoring a field goal. The second quarter ended with Nevada down 17-6. Coming back from halftime, Nevada was still struggling with defense allowing a touchdown within two minutes and 20 seconds of the third quarter. After another field goal and interception thrown by Nevada quarterback Brandon Lewis, the third quarter ended 27-6. The fourth quarter included two more field goals from the Vandals and nothing from the Wolfpack, which ended the game 33-6. Nevada's current record in football is zero wins and two losses. The first time since 2017 in which the team started their season with two losses. The next game is on September 16th where Nevada will take on Kansas University in Mackey Stadium. This story was written by Nevada Sagebrush Sports Editor Derek Raritan. Moving on to arts and entertainment, this year's Welcome Week concert featured two opening acts from DJ Micah Myers and Adam Vaughn, followed by the headliner up for the night, rapper and contemporary R&B singer Ty Dolla Sign. This year's tickets once again increased in price, a whopping $30, doubling the price of a ticket that was purchased in 2015. As the floor of Lawler Stadium filled, it became clear that it was going to be the most popular area of the night, with many of the seats going empty. At the very least, the venue was concerned about fans' well-being, with water stations found in the lobby as well as repeated warnings 
ratings from the two openers, asking for no mosh pits or crowd surf. The night opened with Michael Myers, whose set was filled with recent hits from pop music. Nevada Sagebrush Arts and Entertainment editor Peregrine Hart writes that the lighting was one of the highlights of the night, something that would continue to be a strength throughout the rest of the concert. Next to the stage was Adam Vaughn, whose set list was total whiplash from that of The Last DJ. With mashups from classic rock bands as well as typical electronic music, it made his set, quote, inventively remixed and strangely danceable. Two hours after doors opened at 6 p.m., headliner Ty Dolla Sign made his appearance with a set list that was surprisingly laid back for the energy that he was bringing to the stage. Despite being known mostly for features on songs like Sucker for Pain, Work From Home, and Psycho, Ty Dolla Sign spent some of the concert with his own slower songs to showcase his singing voice. However, the sound design proved to be a problem for quite a bit of the set, with the percussion so overpowering that you couldn't really hear anything else being played. Next were the questionable things that Ty Dolla Sign said throughout the concert, at one point saying, quote, I heard Reno has the hot girls, where the hot girls at, among other profanities. This in turn reinforces the persistent sexualization problem that is a recurring theme in hip-hop and music as a whole. Even on the screen behind the artist, there were faceless, bikini-wearing bodies accompanied by the silhouette of pole-dancing women. Overall, it seems that the event was marketed perfectly for his target audience, freshmen. This story was written by Nevada Sagebrush Arts and Entertainment editor Peregrine Hart. Hot air balloons took to the sky again this year in the 42nd annual Grape Reno Balloon Race from September 8th to 10th in Rancho San Rafael Regional Park. Over all three days, it was expected that 150,000 people would attend the event. Brett Oldham, a volunteer on the crew for one of the balloons, has the official title of aeronaut and is in charge of making sure that his team's balloon cheers can fly. His duties can include checking the propane tanks, assisting with inflation, and being a balloon chaser if the balloon is expected to land somewhere outside of the park. This form of transportation has had little to no change since the first liftoff in 18th century France. Hot air is packed inside of the balloon and is in contrast with the cooler, more dense air on the outside of the balloon. This is what makes the balloon float. While this is what makes the balloons float, there really isn't a way for pilots to steer, only hoping for a good draft of wind to carry them forward. Quote, if you see me spitting over the side, that's not me being crude. I'm just trying to figure out which way the wind is going, says David Wakefield, cheers pilot of 24 years. While the square wicker basket that holds the passengers may seem outdated, it is actually still the best material for its purpose. Quote, the wicker is very durable, very flexible, very forgiving. Other materials can be damaged very easily, said Wakefield. Tradition is a major part of ballooning, like the Wakefield's tradition of handing first-time passengers a hot air balloon notebook so they could write a message. When Shelley and David Wakefield are not flying in the great Reno balloon race, they own a company in Sacramento, California called Cheers Aerial Media, where they fly banners and advertisements. After the balloon comes down and the passengers get out, it's time for the arduous task of rolling it up and putting it back into the canvas bag, a task that takes help from passengers, pilots, and volunteers alike. Retired crew chief for the balloon Les Calier, Suzanne Sealer, is almost always in attendance at the balloon races. Being a pilot for multiple decades, it seems that she knows everyone on the field and in the sky. Quote, it's the legal way to get high, she says. This story was written by Nevada Sagebrush Arts and Entertainment editor Peregrine Hart. And that's going to bring this episode of the Sage Rush Spotlight to a close. Again, don't forget to read all of the articles on our website to give the writers the credit that they're due. Make sure to follow the Nevada Sage Rush on Instagram and Twitter at Nevada Sage Rush and me on Instagram at Patrick.McNab and Twitter at PatrickMcNab underscore. The next episode of the Sage Rush Spotlight will be out next Friday, September 22nd. This week's Song of the Week is... What's New by Axe and the Hatchet Men. I've been your host, Patrick McNabb. Thanks for listening to the Sage Rush Spotlight. See ya.